The Real Investment Show. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, and I can't call Danny, Danny Smith from the Smith Brothers anymore because his beard's all trimmed. He is just now Danny Ratliff, CFP. Hey, Danny, I got a good joke for you today. What you got? On what day of the week do chickens hide? No, what day? Friday. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> the yolk's on you. <laughs> did, did the Chick-fil-A cows give you that one? <laughs> that would be a good one for one of the billboards. I was thinking of creating like a plant-based uh, restaurant for, for breakfast called the Egg Woke. What do you think? I know who'd show up. I did. Not you. Brent, take the children's <laughs> joke book away, please. <laughs> hey, this isn't a joke, but it's good news. President Biden says he doesn't think there are enough Democratic votes to raise taxes in his deal. Danny? I'm a boo hickety crying right now. I don't think we're going to be able to get the vote there, Corn Pop. What do you say, Danny? Well, I, I'm relieved for one. I mean, the longer they push this out and the, the closer we get towards the end of the year, especially trying to make changes for new tax laws and prepare, man, we're talking about a, a rush to the final stretch. So, hey, this is great news. You know, now we have a rep out of Arizona who dug her heels in the ground saying, hey, I'm not going to vote for any type of tax increases. This is fantastic. It's not just Joe Manchin, which, you know, it seems like he's been wavering kind of back and forth. So I'm anxious to see, you know, they had that drop dead date of 1031. So they've got about nine days left. Um, see what happens here. I mean, I think anything can still happen. We've seen it kind of ebb and flow back and forth. But certainly promising looking like that this won't be done. And that it's through reconciliation either. Yeah. You know, I think what happened was Biden went in and knocked on the stall for cinema. She's in the. I'm not voting on those taxes. When you come out here and wash your hands, I'm going to get you. Corn pop. <laughs> How to use that again? Well, S and P futures are up. Uh, Dow futures are up sixty four. Actually, Nasdaq futures are down twenty nine points. S and P futures. You know, uh, Intel had a pretty lousy report, down nine percent here in the pre market. So tech is going to be a little bit um, more wishy washy today. So when we uh, have our meetings, we meet every day here. We have we talk about either the Dow days. Or the NASDAQ days. This don't look to be a NASDAQ day. Partially SNAP, partially um, partially Intel. <clears throat> but overall, the earnings game has been pretty good. Banks have been reporting strong, regional banks. <clears throat> so, so far, it's been what we would say a successful earnings season. Tractor Supply had a great report. Everybody's at Tractor Supply buying chicken feed because everybody's moving away. Except me. But um, so it looks like, again, we've, we might be in the midst or the beginning of uh, that last quarter push, Danny. Yeah, it looks like it. You know, the markets are shaking off higher interest rates, inflation at the moment, um, you know, supply chain constraints. I mean, those are things that have been big concerns. And all of a sudden, they don't matter. It's kind of interesting to watch. Um, yields, I think, are freaking a lot of people out. As they should. I mean, we're seeing rates, you know, pop again. I think we closed at what, 1.69 yesterday. But we're probably coming up closer to the top, I would think. I mean, we've seen estimates a little bit higher for, you know, even next year. 
But even this year, we've seen higher rates than where we are right now. So not too big of a concern as of yet. And, you know, I think they're going to be likely, you know, those have been range bound relative, relatively speaking. So markets are shaking it off unusually because or unlikely because they've been really, really concerned with interest rates. They have. Um, I will tell you that if you still want to get your Christmas shopping done, I'm almost done. <clears throat> but uh, there is an issue. You want to get your shopping done early, Danny. Otherwise, I'm worried that uh, you might get hurt there at home. Get the gifts. Oh, sorry, kids. <laughs> you get a bag of coal again. Actually, I don't even think you can get cold this year. <laughs> uh, sponges are in great supply. Those are great gifts. I'll have a... Once, once uh, I'll give you a Grandma Rosso story. Once for Christmas, she wrapped a bunch of sponges... Uh, from my Christmas present because I was being bad, but that really wasn't my gift. But she wrapped a package of sponges from Wallbaums, and I went, oh, what? Isn't this mom's gift? Do you need you to clean your room? Or yeah, what? I, yeah, it was like one of those I was messy and I need to clean up after myself. Message received before I got the G.I. Joe. Um, so again, we have, we're still in the middle of earnings season. We'll see how it closes up. American Express uh, beat handily this morning. Um, and we also have, what do we have today, Danny? What to watch? We have U.S. Services PMI. Uh, we have Manufacturing PMI. So that's coming out today. Honeywell, American Express just reported. Schlumberger reporting today. So we're in the midst. Seems like the market really does seem to uh, like what it sees right now. Yeah, and, you know, we, we are in a seasonally stronger part of the year, but there are those things to watch. I think, you know, like Lance has even mentioned that, you know, watching the yield curve is going to be very important. Watching yes. oil, you know, oil has, has broken about, I think, tried above its technicals. So, you know, we could see that go even higher right here. And, you know, we're in an interesting dynamic when it comes to the energy sector as far as the R&D that they're doing, the supply and demand issues. Um, you know, that's something that we could potentially see it push higher all on its own just because of that. So one thing we did, Danny, remember when we talked about inflation and we raised our underlying rate of inflation in our financial plans, um, the 10-year break-even rate, so we raised it from like a 2%, and we, and we create inflation benchmarks for everybody's specific goal, right? You want to buy a car, what your health care expense is going to look like, long-term care, so forth. But the 10-year break-even rate suggests that CPI is going to rise an average of 2.57% over the next decade. So us raising it to 2.5 six months ago seems like it might have been a um, good idea based on the market. So you always have this, this rate of inflation that's underlying, but you do have to study inflation depending on whatever goal. Hey, even if you're buying an RV or you need health care expense uh, or need insurance before Medicare kicks in, right? You're in what I call an early retiree. You're retiring at age 61, 62, and you need to go out into the open marketplace. So these rising break-even rates are telling us that perhaps some of this inflation obviously um, isn't transitory. Mike wrote an article about that. Great article. Advisor Perspectives picked that up. Um, I wrote an article about it as well. Uh, with a little bit of joke about uh, the subway five dollar foot long was now fourteen bucks. Um, so 
something we're going to have to deal with. Surging energy prices, especially, Danny, as you're saying, those might be sticking around for a good period of time, longer than we want. Hey, when we get back, we're going to talk about why women are better investors and why a computer, why was the computer late for work? He had a slow, hard drive. We'll be right back. Now, the Financial Fitness Friday audience on YouTube will give us some really good idea for Christmas gifts and holiday gifts. Like JP says, grow your own loofah sponges. I'm thinking a Danny Ratliff Chia Pet and the beard grows. What do you think, Brent? You like that? Do you like that? Can I get one? Yeah. Yeah, that's your Christmas. I don't think you're going to be able to keep it on the shelves. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. You would be able to put it right here up on your new studio. That'll be great. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's going to be creative. Um, so recent study, interesting. Um, and this is something we've known for a while, actually, that women are better investors. One in two women show more interest in investments since the pandemic and also cryptocurrencies, although that is a predominantly heavy testosterone area as people bully themselves on Reddit boards. It's mostly male about crypto. Oh, yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I think Bitcoin is going to, you know, beat out the dollar. Where are you? I think you're an idiot. So a lot of women are not in that foray, right? So, <clears throat> but women are definitely taking an interest in the stock market. And I think that's great. There's been a big boost since the pandemic. So 50% of U.S. women with an annual income of at least 50000 have become more interested in investing their money since the global pandemic. Current data from Fidelity, and again, this is old news. This is new news from Fidelity, but I will tell you there's a lot. There's a seminal study that proves the same. Women achieve higher returns on average. More and more women in Germany also also hold assets, such as shares and funds. This would be great for Lance's son in Germany. He may be able to get a girlfriend with money. That'll be, that'll be great. Um, I mean, cryptocurrency is growing in popularity among everybody, Danny, except me. I'm out of the, I'm out of the loop. I still have 500 bucks in Ethereum or whatever I have from the craze in Coinbase. It was 200 It was 100 Then it was $25. Now it's $500. Um, I just keep it in there so I keep my Coinbase active and help people understand how it works. But what are your thoughts on this? Um, women are better investors. And this study by one of the seminal studies by Terrence Odeen and Brad Barber at the University of California at Berkeley, men trade 45% more than women do. But I do find, and Danny, I'm going to have you chime in, but I do find when I meet with couples, men have their ego in the investments. Women, I think, step back and look at the risk. And they tend to be more cerebral, believe it or not, less emotional over their investment process than men. What are your thoughts? Women are so much cooler under pressure than men when it comes to investing. Yes. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I've, I've told this story time and time again that, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard, you know, a, a visited with a couple, we walk out and the wife would turn to me and say, hey, Danny, 
you know, help us. He's, we've never made money in the markets. And you know, we find out it's because we're jumping in when things are really, really good, but we've been out for a very long period of time. And then yeah. we get out at the worst opportune times and we never let it, you know, let the markets actually work and actually, you know, we're either all in or all out. And I think women are much better investors with that. Now, I think there's a couple factors at play. And, you know, one, instinctively, they were, they were designed probably so much better than we were to handle these types of pressures. I mean, childbearing, good Lord knows, I probably couldn't do that. Um, but, you know, there, the other factor is, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times in, in many households, the man is the breadwinner. And I, I'm not trying to get down another, you know, path here. But I think many times that we feel like, okay, we're, we're very, you know, like you mentioned, the testosterone. We, we want to make sure that we provide for our family. Um, we want to make sure that we're, we're keeping things secure. And then we make bad decisions and we think, oh, my gosh, we've got to get out. And unfortunately, we do it at just the absolute wrong time because you think there goes everything we've worked for, the livelihood, everything we've done. And so, unfortunately, many people go at it without that plan or any type of discipline to sell or to get in and out. And that puts people in a bad spot because we get all in and, you know, we do the complete opposite. You know, we know what a, a smart investor should do. We should buy low and sell high. Yet most people don't have a, the way to do it. Yes. And so I think it puts yeah. people in a bad spot. It backs people, it puts their back against the wall and people get out and you think, you know, it's only going to get worse from here. Usually though, unfortunately it doesn't. We get out at the absolute wrong times. It reminds me of Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Like Fred's always, you know, and running around and angry. And Wilma's like, well, Fred... Right. I mean, what I'm saying is if there's sort of something yeah. to this, because men first, they don't like to say that they made a bad decision. They'll stick with a losing stock. I, I mean, I had a conversation about a month ago with a couple and they've been sitting on this losing stock. I'm not kidding. For 15 years. And she goes, you know, isn't it about time we just listen to Rich and let it go? <clears throat> it's not coming back. You know, practical, understanding looking at the big picture, he's focused on this one position that is just, it's not coming back. How much did they lose on that AOL stock? <laughs> it's, it's not even an AOL, but it's an old tech stock that just never recovered to its highs. Um, and, well, it pays a good dividend. You know, in other words, there's all kinds of reasons <clears throat> to hold it. So men are very lizard-brained emotional when it comes to investing. And I'm not saying women aren't. They just tend to step back. If I have a, and, and again, I always love it because a man that says, I want to be, I want to be aggressive. I want to be really aggressive. I got to catch up. And a woman's, you know, and I show, well, you know what? I think you're better off being balanced here, right? Danny, right? Look, don't have all your money in stocks. Not a good idea. Have some money here, some money here. That's risk dilution. Um, you know, it's just a way to manage volatility and so forth. And the woman always is like, that makes that makes sense to me because I think they focus on the risk. They focus on the mitigation of risk. They focus on the life insurance. They focus on those things that men are going, boring, I'm going to live forever. Yep. So it makes sense that women are better investors and stewards of money. And there are multiple, multiple, multiple studies <clears throat> through time that show this. But now it's going to be very interesting to me to see how they deal in crypto. Because that is overall a speculative space. 
and I know a lot of women who are not very comfortable because they can't assess the risk of it. They know the whole thing is risky, right? Um, and so what I've noticed with women when they get involved with crypto, the husband goes, well, let's, let's put like $50,000 in it. And the woman's like, no, can we start with like 2000 So they, they're going to stick their, whole, their toe in the water. The man's just going to jump in. Um, so it's a, it's a, it really is a balancing act. But it's interesting that women do tend to get better returns. And women live longer. We know this, Danny. And I do think if you looked at recent studies of men going to college versus women, right? Uh, women taking over roles of responsibility more and more, which I think is great. Um, I, they just know, I think, that they're going to be the ones left behind. They yeah, watched their grandmothers and so more. forth, right? That, that yeah. no one had to say about money. But when you meet with a young couple now, don't you find that the, the woman is much more engaged? She's at the meetings. She's asking questions. And I think it's great. <clears throat> I think it's great. Both parties need to be involved. I, I agree. We see so many people, especially as, as we age, you know, you start to get a better understanding about these things and you see people go through it, which is why you start to take a, a bit better interest in it. You know, we had an interesting YouTube comment, Rich, that saying, you know, we're pessimistic on trading and, you know, that there's not a lot of women out there making money swing trading. And that may be the truth. I don't know. But I don't think we're pessimistic on trading women, at all. Why not? Um, women, I mean, that's fine. You know, I, I trade. I, I think the... I trade. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the moral of the story is that you know, we're talking about more of the emotional aspect of things. And, you know, there are a lot of people that do that do really good swing trading. Um, I think but. women trade. I know women traders. What they don't do is they follow rules. Men always right. find a way to deviate from rule, generally speaking. There are some men are very good at rules. But I notice women, when they trade, they have very specific rules and they follow the rules. They cut their losers when they not. They do these things that men seem to get more emotionally involved with. That's, and that, again, that's just an observation. And I notice that they also t tend to trade less um, than men do. And they don't do what you just said, Danny. You just said it earlier, the all in and the all out. I don't yeah. see women doing that, but I'm sure we're gonna see a lot of studies on this crypto and women. I actually think maybe they're gonna be able to handle it better. Yeah, I, I agree. It you know, the, all the stories that you're hearing about this, you know, you, you sent an interesting article earlier in the week mentioning how, you know, it's it's helped raise people out of poverty. It's gotten them out of bad situations, uh, women yeah. learning these things, um, you know, even a, a reference to women in Afghanistan being able to get out. And I think that's great. Yeah. What was that part of it? That looked interesting. Yeah, I think that was really interesting, you know, showing that 10 years ago, there's a group that was started talking about trying to start learning about cryptocurrency. And they were actually able to little by little put funds away and actually bring themselves out and, and be able to escape because of the money and the means that they'd created over time. And I think that's a fantastic story. And I think there's more and more out there. But, um, you know, we're also trading in a very speculative space. So we have to be very cautious when we come to things like that. Um, you know, I, I think that the story was trying to be painted in such a light that it provided, you know, it shined a positive light on it, which I think is there's been a very positive light. But we have to understand the swings and speculative aspect of it that we're not dealing with the currency, we're dealing, we're dealing with a very speculative investment. Right, and I think what'll happen, <clears throat> and this is where it's gonna be interesting because I don't know if women will be better with crypto because there's so much risk there. Men are willing to be bold about it and they can possibly make more money even though they have the chance of 
losing more. So I'm just wondering how they're going to handle it. <clears throat> It'll be very interesting to see. Hey, when we get back, we want to talk about your new woke 401k and why I'm going to lose more hair over this story here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Since Lance likes dad jokes so much, I have one for him. Why did the coach go to the bank? Why, Why did Rich? the coach go to the bank? To get his quarterback. <laughs> Even Brent's done with this. Uh, <laughs> it takes a lot to pull Brent away. That did it. Um, so, you, Danny, we got, we've got some events coming up, right? We have uh, you and Chris. Liebham doing a really good, what, uh, is it a lunch and learn about the FAFSA, right? Is yeah, that- so it's going to be a webinar. It's going to be the next Thursday, the 28th. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, we want to get down and dirty into what you need to know about the FAFSA. This, there seems to be a lot of misinformation out there. You know, at OPE applications, were, um, you were available to start filing your applications October 1st. So we thought, thought this was a very timely event. So if you have a kid in high school, um, a college student, you're looking to fill these forms out. Chris is an expert at this, and so he's going to be able to walk you through some real basic tips. Make sure you have a really good understanding. And unfortunately, there's a lot of money left on the table, Rich, uh, not filled out properly or not filled out at all because people think they just make too much, and we're not even going to spend the time on it. Yeah, I think a lot of parents decide that I they make this big assumption that costs them thousands of dollars, and they can't do that. So we have to make sure that you listen. Chris is very skilled at this. Happy to help you. I've got an article coming out next week on the blog about 10 financial tips, 10 things you need to do before year end. And I do reference uh, some ideas and put Chris's contact uh, in there. We also are going to have a year end economic review, Candid Coffee, on 11 13, uh, November 13, with Mr. Chartman, Lance Roberts, right? We want to talk about taxes, interest rates. We want to talk about, uh, you know, maybe some ideas for 2022. Um, So special guest, Lance Roberts, Saturday, November 13th. Uh, We do this really early. Well, not too early, but early enough, right? Eight o'clock. And uh, it's an hour only of your day, but you can log in, sign up at realinvestmentadvice.com. I don't know if the sign up's there yet, but I'll be there. Danny will be there. I'll be in my swanky robe. So I am not a fan of the Department of Labor. Haven't been a fan since 2007 when they put a stamp of approval on target date funds, choices in 401k plans, and plan providers have been naturally gravitating toward them. So a target date fund is a mix of asset classes, right? So there's large, there's small, there's international, and they, they, they look to adjust it over time and to this target date, target retirement 2020, target retirement 2060, whatever it is. Now, I will tell you, in 2020, as a rational human being, if I had a retirement 2020 fund, what would you intuitively think the fund, how would it be allocated? Maybe 30% equity, 70% bonds. Well, it depends. There's a lot of squirrely math called the glide path that goes into these target date funds. So this target date is not a maturity date. It's not a target. And a target date fund 
for 2020 could have at least 50 to 60 percent inequities. So now the Department of Labor says, well, we need to make your 401k more woke. We need to say that we need to offer ESG funds. We need to offer environmental, social, governance objectives. In fact, why are we doing that? Great articles. I think I said to you, Danny, Lance has written about this ad nauseum. What is so good about ESG funds? When you look inside, and most of them are just S&P funds with all the tech that they have at higher fees. So, not a surprise, BlackRock is pushing to create ESG 401k funds in part because they charge those higher fees. Thoughts on this? This this is a Biden rule, Danny, and I think it's ridiculous to push ESG when they're not. They don't live up to the name. There's a lot more work that needs to go into an ESG fund. But of course, BlackRock is probably going to get their way because they usually do. Well, this is an unfortunate thing that I think is probably met with good intentions. I think people think that, okay, ESG, this is all the right things. We're doing positive work here. And I I think the political uh, or politicians think the same thing as well. The issue is, is that, like you said, I mean, you, you lift up the hood and it's very similar, just an S&P 500 fund or, you know, another large cap fund, yet it has higher costs. So the investor is going to feel the brunt of this, right? BlackRock, all these other big institutions, they're loving it. Um, they're able to capture more dollar and they're not doing a whole lot of much different, right? There's, they have a nice thesis on how they go and they research and the things that they do, but there's not a whole lot of change. That's the problem here, Rich. Yes. Um, and I think this is why... You know, we talk about being a fiduciary and we talk about the the important elements of it. This is going to make it very difficult for 401k plan providers to be that fiduciary that's needed, because if they're going to be required to start putting these funds in, they're going to start being your kind of backdrop. If somebody doesn't choose an investment, you're going to put them into this. That can be a huge problem. Not only that, but also the risks that it entails versus, you know, even a target date fund, which, you know, you know, I don't think either one of us are big fans of those just because of the you know, they're not all created equal. I think it's been a big marketing ploy. This is another one, but this is even worse. It carries much greater implications in, in bad markets, I think. It does, and I think you brought up a very good point. Good intentions by the investor. Right, the investor doesn't want, the investor wants ESG. I, I totally believe that. What they're getting is something else in Wolf's clothing. They're getting an S&P fund in a wrapper to sell them more product. And unfortunately, the Department of Labor knows pretty much nothing about investing. So they're falling into the whole process. Just like with these glide paths, they should be taking years off target date funds. They shouldn't even be calling them target dates. There's no such thing. Like if I'm going to retire in 2045, I don't go and purchase a 2045 fund because it doesn't get more conservative. And it might, but not much. So now we're going to have this lever here and maybe as a default, Danny, depending on, like you said, how this goes, higher costs for the investor, no ESG for the investor, lots of fees for BlackRock, right? How is that fiduciary in any sort? It's not. 
right? I mean, you want it as a choice, that's fine. But they want to make it, like you said, as a rule. And, you know, they're probably going to get their way because ESG funds are popular. Listen, how many advisors are buying into these because they say ESG without educating the investor saying, you know what? You know, let me explain to you how this works. This is not ESG. You know, if I want to look at, say, a, a, a specific ETF, of course, I have to look at what's inside the ETF. I have to look at how it trades and all this other stuff. But I've got to look inside. And maybe I have those right holdings that I want. Very segmented. But that's not going to be appropriate, perhaps, for a broader base 401k plans with target date funds. So I don't know if this gets through. I don't, you know, I don't know, but it's really on the table. And I read about it a few weeks ago in investment news as well. And there's a strong push for this. And so just so everybody understands what, what typically legislation the Department of Labor has is that you have a qualified deferred investment, that meaning that if you don't pick a certain specific investment for your 401k, it's going to go towards one specific area, right? And it's going to be one that's going to it's going to help the business owners continue to be a fiduciary. Um, you're not going to be able to go after them over it. Typically and historically, it has been those target date funds. Um, and a lot of people just set it and forget it because they don't quite understand what that glide path looks like. We take, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Rich, you think, you think like, oh, I'm at retirement. It should be 30, 70. And it's really 70, 30 or 60, 40 stocks to bonds. That's a big difference. What they're trying to do now is push through for these ESG investments to potentially be in that space as well. I'm okay with with giving more options within the 401k. I think that's that's really needed. Sure. And I'm a big advocate for that. I just don't think that it should be one of these specific investments should be the fallback by exactly, any exactly the default. I I agree, and that's my biggest issue with this as well. It's that why does it have to be a default? You know, make yeah. it a choice, right? Make it a choice. Um, lots of great articles. Um, how this investing has, I mean, it's exploded, right? There's a lot of great marketing for this. And it makes sense because if you think about where have fees gone for investments, fees have gone down, right? Here I got this glory now of ESG. And I go, ooh, Finally, I have a marketing niche to make more money. It's genius, right? Because to your point earlier, good intentions by the investor. Somewhat, I don't know, in, you know, motives by the Wall Street firms that can make a very creative argument for why they have Amazon in their ESG fund. Interesting. Something to watch. We'll be talking about it as we go forward. Hey, we talk, we come back. I want to talk a little bit about, hey, our financial manifesto at RIA. What does it mean? More when we get back. Last, last segment. Stay tuned. You'll be hearing a lot more from us about ESG funds. As Lance is writing an article right now on the DOL specifically notes the changes in response to the Trump administration's attack on climate change, but yet there's nothing about the employee consequences. So it's 
BlackRock smart. They, they're going in for the attack and to make more fees. And that's how it works. You have to be a smart investor. And if you're a smart investor, that's why you listen to us. And we will tell you the truth. When the ESG funds are ESG, we'll tell you. They're more like MSG, don't you think? It'll give you a headache after you pay the fees. Um, so <clears throat> the one thing that we do at RIA, we recently changed our logo. We're not wearing our new logo shirts, but we're getting those. And part of it was because of the manifesto that we created. And um, these are guidelines. These are guidelines. They, you know, they might be mission statements to some degree, but they're words and actions that we follow. Um, they're tough lessons. They help to change your perspective. They come from all the experience we have as investors. And we also have um, one of these things that you have to keep in mind. I think somebody's coming behind me. Um, we have a big board of them. It's like the ring girl who's like walks around with the, the round number. Do they still do this that? This is great. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Like the ring girl. Yeah. So um, I have a board behind me. So that board uh, is our manifesto. It's a lot of stuff on it. And it's really, you know, it's like if you were in a, as you, as an investor, you might be looking at rules that you follow to live your life. These are rules we follow to run the firm. And on our new logo is an eagle. And part of that is market and economic conditions require perspective of an eagle. They are, they are masters of the skies, right? They look from above and they survey the landscape from great altitudes. Bulls and bears too close to the ground, right? Real myopic. They defend these little narrow perspectives and it's on their agendas. They're not your agenda. Eagles don't look at it that way, right? Um, they can observe any, things that move from a thousand feet in the air and spot a rodent uh, target over an area of three square miles. Right? Lots of rats out there. No bulls and bears. Lots of rats. So we decided that, hey, this is a good manifesto for us because we want to be eaglish. Now, some people say, well, you guys are always bearish. I always, how many times do you hear that, Danny? even though we're like six, over 60% invested in stocks. No, we're not bearish. We're realist. We look real realistic. We look at the environment. We have to go into a terrain, understanding the terrain. We're not just going to go and skip through a minefield. Well, Wonder Woman could probably do that. Actually, I might like to see her do that. But um, so keep in mind, you got to have a view of the economy and a macro economy when you trade. I mean, even if you trade, you want the general market conditions, right? We have someone on YouTube that was talking about the 8% sell rule, right? Which William J. O'Neill, Investors Daily, he looks at markets in a confirmed trend, markets in a downtrend, right? Markets in a, in a bear, whatever it is. You also have to have risk management. Everything you do, there's no gray area, Right? You have to have rules to trim profits. You have to have rules to move away from bad positions. We have sell rules. So this is not, this is not active trading. It's working positions and managing risk, right? Market losses are going to happen. If you're in the stock market, you're going to get losses. We have come to a point in the market cycle, Danny, and I know you've heard from clients that go, I can't believe my account moved. 
Like it went down a little bit. Like it happens. <laughs> we can't guarantee against losses. We can help you to minimize. The other thing you got to remember is stock averages don't expire. You do, right? Warren Buffett's a legend. But they act, allocate money to, cap, uh, to companies that are going to last decades, centuries. That's fine. You don't have that period of time. How many times at the right lane class, Lance, uh, Danny, do we show the long-term trend of the market and show people that depending on the snapshot of time of where they retire, they could be in a flat market, a down market, compared to a market that lives forever, right? Markets hit new highs, people celebrate. Yet how many people tell you, oh, well, I just broke even after like 16 years? Yeah. You know, that's, that's the problem. We look at this long chart from such a long period of time, and, you know, that's the one that everybody wants. As an advisor, shows somebody. And unfortunately, it gives us a false sense of security that, oh, look, look at these returns. These are so great. They have, markets always go up. But if you have it scattered over 100-plus years, <laughs> your, your returns look a lot different. Now, then if you have it over a 10, 15, 20-year period of when you're likely going to need it and be in distribution mode, you know, volatility is a great thing when you're young and you can put funds in the market. You're not in you're not distributing them. You know, it can really work to your advantage. Yes. Once you get to that, that distribution mode, that's totally different. It's a game changer. Well, it is, um, especially if you are taking money out of your portfolio. Now, if I'm accumulating. Like, say, you are, Danny, right? You're putting money in markets come down. You might add more uh, people in their 20s and 30s. Now, although I don't even know in a bear market, how they're going to react because they've never been through one before. Some of these younger investors, um, I don't know if they'd perceive it as an opportunity or they'll just walk away. Um, but for the most part, accumulators are not taking money out. Now, they may hate the fact that, hey, I've just gone through five, six, seven years of no returns, but at least I'm not living off of that money. If I am taking money out of the portfolio, right, I have a wound in my portfolio, and now, as a retiree, I'm gonna rip it open more. As an accumulator, I'm healing the wound by putting more cash into the market. And that's, that's something people need to understand, that you are much more vulnerable to losses. Not that they're not painful when you're an accumulator, but they're certainly even more painful when you're a distributor. I told the client yesterday, Danny, remember when we put in our returns, we put in that we think over the next few years, market returns are not going to be very good. There's just going to be more headwinds when it comes to valuations and math, as Lance says, eventually matters. But what's really great is we have had this strong tailwind for new retirees. In other words, we get this strong tailwind. They're doing better than their personal rate of return. And that's what you want in the beginning stage of retirement. I want a really strong tailwind of return and do better than what my distribution is because that, that tailwind, even if it's two or three years, can be very, very successful to the longevity of my portfolio as long as I stick to the rules of risk management and also monitoring my withdrawals, right? So having this tailwind up front as opposed to having the headwind up front of low returns and taking money, 
I've got a tailwind and taking money. That leads to much more exponential success in the longevity of the portfolio. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at any any modeling and any financial planning software, I mean, it'll show that those first couple of years are, are extremely crucial. And so if you look at the overall long-term health of a financial well-being of the plan, it is essential mm -hmm. that you're not, you know, having some major drawdown typically, unless you've just been in a really, really good saver and you're spending within certain needs. I mean, I think that's going to be the, the the biggest thing. You know, we visit with a lot of people who, you know, in all different shapes and, and as far as how they have done, as far as what they've saved and what, they, what they've done. And, you know, the expenses are going to be what's going to be really crucial at the end of the game. And then also how much of a, of a safety margin do you have if you experience those big downturns within those first years of retirement? Absolutely. So tenet four for us in our manifesto is diversification is not risk management. It's risk dilution. What are the odds of one or two companies in the balanced portfolio to go bust or face an industry-specific hazard at the same time, right? What's the greater risk to you? One company goes out of business or underperforming uh, or your entire stock portfolio suffers great losses to change your life, right? So diversification is not bad. It dilutes risk. But brokers tend to pre preach diversification as the greatest risk management tool ever. But it's not. It's, it's not. I mean, if I go ahead and invest in everything, Danny, right, I probably dilute, I'm going to dilute my returns. But I'm also going to possibly dilute my risk. But it's not risk management. It's a dilution. So risk management is where your portfolio losses are controlled or minimize. How coordinated are global markets today, Danny? If I'm invested in stocks and China sneezes, what happens in the U.S.? You know immediately. <laughs> right. It, it used to be that, that was something right? that you... Evergrande, right? Look what's happening yeah, with you'd that. Find, you'd find out over time that, you know, like two weeks later that something happened and it'd be like the telephone game when you were a kid and the information changed so drastically that it was almost inconsequential to some extent. And now, you know, with everything flowing at the speed of light, it is it is a game changer as far as, you know, reactions to markets, the emotional pull that it has. And then, you know, not only that, just how it swings markets so quickly. Right. So you got to go. Remember this. The goal of risk dilution is to cover all your bases. It's to spread your dollars a wide, widely across asset classes to reduce company stock risk. But it's a dilution. It's not a management. It's not risk management, which is what we do at RIA. Speaking of risk, don't do anything too risky over the weekend. Now, we won't be back next week. We'll have some really good shows for you. And then we'll have a brand spanking new studio. I gotta, I'm got. i going to wear a new outfit for that, too. Hey, and don't, don't forget, if you want to go sign up for these events, go, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. We'd love to have you guys there. Daily market commentary from Lance. Sign up from that. Sign up for the newsletter, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you soon, everybody. Have a safe weekend. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.